God is always sending people on his mission. Um, and, uh, of course, in Mark chapter 3, he calls those 12 disciples that they would be with him, that he might what? Send them. So God is ascending God. And uh, the, very, the very beginning of the story of salvation, if you following that, uh, the cataclysmic flood that destroyed the first earth, if you will, um, we come in Genesis 11 and in Genesis 12, we really begin the story of God's plan of redemption. And where does it begin? It begins with Abraham. And how, what's the first thing that God does with Abraham? He sends him. Uh, in Genesis 12, uh, we're familiar with that. Um, but he sends him. Now the Lord said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And so he sends him out of... Why didn't, why didn't, God, just, uh, why didn't God just make it happen right there where he was? Why did God send him? Uh, how about Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 8? By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of what? Promise, as in a strange country. So God begins by sending us, and this is the first place he sends us. He always sends us to the unknown place. To the unknown place. Um, and uh, this is a matter of faith. The gospel story begins with a step of faith. Um, you know, if, um, if you're not willing to go towards the unknown, you won't follow God far. If you've got to have all the answers, all the questions answered, have all the understanding in place before you go, you're not going very far. Um, there's always that unknown aspect to it. I remember when uh, we went to, um, uh, out to Cameroon in 2013, and we had our, our five different teams, each basically spending a day um, uh, in, a, in a village and then distributing Bibles, preaching and going on to the next one. I remember we were coming down our particular map and we'd heard about this other little place that, you know, folks were naming and there wasn't even, that spot wasn't even on the map. It was so unknown, it wasn't even on our map. It was a little village called Bombay. Uh, do you know, actually, if you Google that area, Bombay's on the map now. It's on Google. I don't know how it got on there. Um, maybe we got on it. I got it on there somehow. But uh, Bombay was not even on the map. Um, I don't know what it is that God has for you as you step out into the unknown, um, but you don't know it yet. Isn't that missions? Like, okay, I'm going to go this direction, but I really don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to end up. Um, and it is 
Uh, it's exactly that way. Uh, William Pettigrew, uh, I'm going to go up among the Tonko people here uh, for a week and a half or two weeks in Manipur. William Pettigrew crossed the um, ocean in around 1900. He was the first missionary to arrive in that region of Manipur, the first. The gospel arrived with him. By the way, he's another one of those stories that became convinced of water baptism on his boat ride over. And he was baptized just like Judson was um, when he arrived in, uh, in, in, in India, actually, uh, over near where Judson was baptized. Maybe the same place. I'm not sure. Uh, but Pettigrew was from England. Um, and he arrives around 1900, and he is in Impal, the, the main city. And it's just he's being rejected. The gospel's not going anywhere. He tries to do whatever. Uh, and he's saying, Lord, where, uh, where's the, um, where do you want me to go? And he, hear, he receives an invitation from a chief up in Ukrul to come. I want, I'd like you to come here. So he goes up to Ukrul. He had no plans to go to Ukrul. He ends up beginning to plant the first church there in around 1901, I believe it is. Um, and he's there for 20 years, can't really leave that city. And then God begins to work, and among the Tonko people, every village among the Tonko has a Baptist church. There was a breakthrough that happened, and the, and the Tonko people are predominantly Baptist. I think 60%. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean all those Baptists are saved at this point, but there's a breakthrough. Um, and it was unknown when uh, William Pettigrew, uh, where he, when he took off. Um, now, Abraham, why was he, why was he uh, chosen? Was Abraham the most um, likely person to be chosen? Um, what, what does it say there in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7? He says, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep his oath. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. You know, you could sit, be sitting here and saying, you know, I'm just the most untalented, the most unlikely um, and I, I just can't imagine how God would, would choose me. Well, Abraham was the most unlikely. And do you know why God chose him? you know one reason why God chose him? He knew he would go. Right? He know, if I, t- if I tell Abraham, leave your country and go to another one, he'll do it. And I don't care how least or how unlikely you may be sitting in this room. I want to tell you this. God will use you if you will go. And I don't care how skilled and how highly trained or how, how highly gifted and talented you are in this room. God cannot use you if you will not go. The most unlikely person who goes will experience God. And the most likely person who does not go will not get in on the mission. Um, and I, I love this verse here in Deuteronomy. He says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. Do you know that God wants my life to be a demonstration of how faithful he can be? 
Amen? Not how faithful I can be, how faithful he can be. He will prove his faithfulness, if you will go, to the unknown place. The, the power, the wonder is that. And when you get to that unknown place, there's something waiting for you. You know what it's called? When Abraham was sent out to leave his homeland, something was waiting for him. What was it called? It's called a promised land. There's something waiting, and it's promised. And if you'll go, you'll discover it. It's a promised land. Promised. That means as I step out into the unknown, I will encounter what God has promised to give. So God is ascending God. He sends the most unlikely to the unknown where awaits a promised land. There's something else about God. Not only does he send us to the unknown place, he also sends us to the unsafe place. To the unsafe place. How about the very story of our Lord Jesus? In heaven, did anyone mistreat Jesus in heaven? Could anyone ever mistreat Jesus in heaven? Oh, I guess maybe Satan tried. (laughs) And he was kicked out. Um, you, You couldn't mistreat Jesus in heaven, right? But could you mistreat him on earth? Isn't that actually why he came here? He actually came here to be despised, to be mistreated, to actually enter a realm in which people could actually mistreat you. I, I've, I've felt that. I was in Jordan in 2007, and we had a little incident that happened, but I remember this. As we're facing that, like we could be jailed for something. Or we could. Do you know that in America I would never be jailed for what I might have been jailed for in Jordan? Right? It was a different realm. I'm going to India, uh, and India is different from Africa. Uh, in Africa, and I'm, I'm just telling young people, you should get to Africa. Africa is so wide open. Um, I don't know why we are, I, well, uh, if you want a privilege of a lifetime, get to Africa. Seriously. If you want to invest your life, go to Kenya, go to Ghana. Go to Cameroon. Go to Uganda. The the harvest is ripe. Um, It's amazing. Go invest your life uh, in these places. It's a heartbreak to think of folks not going. Get to Africa. Um, And um, but I'm going to India. India is going to be a little different. In fact, I really appreciate your prayer. Uh, India is not like Africa. Uh, there is a, a greater resistance. There's a greater opposition. Um, and I need grace for that. I can't handle that. I don't know what to do. I need God's grace. Amen? Please pray. I can't, I can't make anything happen. And I am way below what's required uh, for that. And I need God to intervene in my life. Completely. And I've seen him do that. Um, uh, on one plane flight, when I flew from Delhi to Chhattisgarh, I sat next to a guy, and I ended up introducing the gospel and getting his contact. And a couple weeks later, I came back into Delhi, and I actually sat down in his, uh, in his home. 
this total stranger down near the Capitol buildings. And I'm sitting there and his wife comes in and his wife says to me, as she's entering the room, uh, let's hear, Anna Faith, you were with me, right? And we're, yes, right, Anna Faith and I were together there. And she immediately says, what? No, what does she say? <laughs> what did she do? The first thing, in fact, I wasn't quite even clued into what it meant, but she says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Remember? The first thing she greets us with is, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, the husband's Hindu. When someone greets you, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, they are not Hindu. And she, talked, she gave testimony of being a born-again believer. And I was witnessing to her unsaved Hindu husband. Like, that's a divine appointment. Like, how'd that happen? Um, and uh, that was... Uh, so, God's grace will be there, but it's got to... I have to have his grace. Um, so, going to India is different. It's an unsafe place. Jesus was... Ready for right, right for thirty three years he was here. Um, did he ever experience supernatural protection? How about when the crowd wanted him to throw him off the cliff at Nineveh, at Nazareth? What did he do? Just walked right through the crowd. He said, "It's not my time." Do you know that you can be anywhere in the world in unsafe places, and no one can touch you if it's not God's time? You don't have to be afraid to be in the unsafe place. God's got a mission that's going forward in your life. And, that, and no one can touch you until it's time. And no one touched Jesus until it was his time. Right? And when the time came, it wasn't a bad thing that he got touched either, was it? He got touched because that's where we get in as we were talking about. Um, you may, I don't know if I've told this story or some of you have heard it before. There was a, a young man, his name is Mido. He was in Iraq. He was in Iraq as ISIS was taking over. And um, he, um, he thought ISIS was establishing a, just a beautiful Islamic caliphate. He was Muslim, and he thought that what ISIS was bringing was going to be the restoration of what true Islam should be. He felt it was being secularized and desecrated and everything, and when he came in, his, his heart was noble. Then he began to watch what they were doing, and he was absolutely appalled by the murderous ways of Christians, uh, of, against Christians, just the, he just saw right in front of his face brutal torture and beating and just grabbing young women and raping and all this stuff. And it turned his stomach and he said, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, and so he's a Muslim and he looks at ISIS and is absolutely appalled. And in one setting, he's on a street and this uh, Christian woman is being beaten and there's young boy is going to be killed her young boy is going to be killed and the christians cry out for god intervening he actually did and ended up the boy was not killed and the mother grabbed him and ran off and it was just disgusting and he just turned and he walked away from the scene and he's going down a side street 
and he comes up on four men being crucified. Comes up on four men hung on crosses with nails through their arms and through their feet, and they've been hanging there for hours, and two ISIS soldiers are guiding are guarding them. And he comes upon these four men being crucified. This this is your lifetime. And he walks up to them and he's just horror fills his heart and he walks up closer to them and he looks at them and they smile at him and then he hears them singing a song and the song they're singing the words of it is a song which it says praise Jesus Christ more and more that's what they're singing And he says they have peace. They had joy. And that made the decision that sealed him. He says, I am getting out of here. And for several weeks he worked on getting out of the country. And he... And finally he gets some sort of a flight, lands in in, in Istanbul, and he is almost... um, and goes into some, some area of Turkey, and he's like a zombie. He's just replaying everything that he has seen, and he can't get the... He says at night, he is, he's just dreaming about those crucifixions that he saw, and he says, I'm never going to get this out of, this, out of his mind. And uh, he, he's just um, um, terrorized. Um, he, can't, he can't forget those men praying for their killers and singing and smiling. So he's in a hotel lobby about a week after he's in Turkey, and he's sitting there just alone, and some, some voice says, hey, are you from Iraq? And he, uh, he turns around, and some says, a man just says, you look shell-shocked. Can you, can you believe how our country is just falling apart? And uh, he introduces himself and says, well, you look you know, like you need a friend. He says, um, some, some of my friends were getting together here, um, just over here. Would you come and join us? And he says, sure. So he walks with him uh, that afternoon down to this place. And as he arrives there, um, Mido says, wait, is this a church? And uh, his friend says, yeah, it is. I, he says, I didn't even ask you if you're a Christian or Muslim. He says, I'm a Muslim. He says, well, in this place, bro, it doesn't matter. Christians and Muslims are both welcome. Just stay for at least 10 minutes, and if you feel weird, then you can leave. Is that okay? And he says, all right. So he steps inside, and a few seconds inside, he's paralyzed. Not physically paralyzed, but he begins to absolutely sob. Mito, his friend says, are you all right? Why are you crying? He says, the group was singing, and he said, I know this song. I heard it before. Praise Jesus more and more. They were singing the very same song that had been sung on those crosses. He said, Mito writes in his own words, he said, My heart melted when I again heard that hymn of praise. The men on the crosses had been singing. The believers in Istanbul were so alive, and they sang with the same deep-seated joy as the crucified men. 
their peace didn't depend on their circumstances. After two weeks in Istanbul, I gave my life to Jesus. The lives of those people convinced me that Jesus is the way to God. The friend Samir followed up by giving me a Bible. I devoured the New Testament, cleansing my mind with the very words of God. Images of life and hope replaced the images of death and misery. More than ever, I now know the Islamic State's a tool of the devil. He says, as for me, once I gave my life to Jesus, he was disowned. Um, that's found in the book Standing in the Fire by uh, Tom Doyle. Um, do you know that in the unsafe place, God, God sends us to the unknown place where awaits for us a promised land. God sends us to the unsafe place where awaits a protected servant. Um, I, I was preaching this message just a few days ago in uh, Cameroon. And uh, Brother Chrysanthus um, was very much touched with the fact that God sends them to the unsafe place. Um, they identify with that now. Because that's where they're living. Actually, in Dop, where Brother Chrysanthus, and that's where Sam Sander live, in Dop has been the center of the conflict between the Ambas and the military. Um, and so that's where he pastors. And Brother Chrysanthus said... <coughs> If God sends us to the unsafe place, God's put on me an area. I need to go to that area, and I'm going to go to that area, even though it's unsafe. Um, And he did. Just days later, he and a friend from his church, they went off to that area, and they're walking the street to go to that area, and they got grabbed by the Ambas. Um, And they were arrested. Remember what happened when Pastor Ernest was arrested and grabbed by the Ambas? How long was he there? About three months. And he was, there was some beating involved, in, in, but he did lead some people to the Lord. Um, well, by that night, Pastor Casanthus was released. God answered prayer. A protected servant. And he said, we're going back. We're not stopping. Um, and in the unsafe place is a protected servant. By the way, if Abraham was the most unlikely, unlikely to be sent, what was Jesus? Wasn't he the most loved to be sent? Do you know that to be sent is to actually be loved? As my father has loved me, so he will love you. And he sent me, the loved one. And to be sent is to know real love. Finally, God's ascending God. He sends us to the unknown place where awaits a promised land. He sends us to the unsafe place where awaits a protected servant. And then finally, he sends us to the unreached place. The unreached place. Paul, in Romans 15, is sent. Uh, By the way, if Abraham was the most unlikely to be sent, and Jesus was the most loved to be sent, what was Paul? Here's what Paul was. Paul was the most lost to be sent. Can you get anyone more against Christ than Paul? Um, And I'll tell you what. God can take the most resistant person against your ministry and flip him to the most powerful proponent of the gospel. Isn't that what God did? No one, no one expected Paul to become the evangelist. It's impossible. And yet... God did it. Why did he do it, by the way? 
Why, why, could, why could God show up in Paul's life like he did? He was standing there when someone prayed a prayer. He watched Stephen die. And when Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. They don't know what they do. He prayed that prayer. I believe Paul was the result of that prayer. Absolutely. And um, why did Jesus show up the way he did? (laughs) Because he watched someone else see Jesus in his dying hour. And God made sure that Paul saw what Stephen saw. Amen? Absolutely. Every soul, I believe every soul won by Paul, there's going to be a crown at Stephen's feet. For that. And uh, uh, Paul, the most lost, was sent to the unreached. And look what he says in Romans 15. He said, uh, of course, he describes his calling to the Gentiles. But then he says this. He says, um, of course, going to the unreached. Verse 20, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it's written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. In the unreached place, there awaits a prepared harvest. Amen? In the unreached place, there awaits a prepared harvest. Do you know where the most Baptist region of the world is? The most Baptist, the highest per capita of Baptist in the world is not southern USA. It's Nagaland, India. I'm going to Manipur. Just north of Manipur is Nagaland. Nagaland is the most Baptist region of the world. It's because of a spiritual breakthrough that just swept across that land. Um, You know what that's called? A prepared harvest. A prepared harvest. Um, The... uh, um, Do you know that there's still two billion in our, our world today that largely couldn't hear of Jesus if they wanted to? About 5,000 people groups, out of the 8 billion, those 5,000 people groups encompass literally just under 2 billion population of the world. And there's about 2 billion, 25% um, of the world that largely couldn't hear of Jesus if they wanted to. So if you and I know about that, shouldn't that change something? Can you know about that? Can you know that and not volunteer to do something about it? I don't think you can. I don't think a single person in this room can know what I just said and not be obligated before a holy God to say I'm responsible for that that situation. Um, there are, and where is one of the most unreached, where is probably the greatest collection of those unreached, um, and much of it actually is, is India. India is very significant in that way. And I went to India looking for the unreached, and I told before about how we discovered the UP mission in that, in that region of uh, going out from Delhi into Uttar Pradesh, and God is being faithful 
But India is a compelling uh, land of unreached. Um, and uh, if you'll go, God will prepare a harvest for you. Uh, we were in, um, we were in, really we were just doing that out in Aquia in uh, 2015 then. And on a Wednesday night, a man comes uh, and he gets saved. His name is Augustine. And Augustine uh, went with us the next day and I've talked about him before. But Augustine was just at our recent training in Cameroon. And Augustine is really taking responsibility for gathering the church in his community of Agbal. And he and John and Kingsley were there, and uh, as well as another one of his brothers who's actually leading a church across the, the river in Bucheng. Um, and Augustine was there. And he, after our training time, he sent me a, um, he, he woke up. One morning, it's actually, I, I gave him something, I gave him a Bible, and he, and he sent me a, um, uh, a WhatsApp audio text. I just wanted to play this for you. This is what he sent uh, to me just, you know, just to be just a couple weeks ago. This is Augustine, um, who was a prepared harvest there in, um, uh, in Bombay. Good morning, Pastor. Yeah, once more greetings. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, Pastor, I wish to acknowledge the fact that uh, I am so, so inspired uh, for taking part in the conference. I'm equally so inspired for you always enriching me with the Word of God. I'm just uh, going through the Bible that you have just given me. I have realized and uh, noted that. This Bible is going to help me go a, a, a kilometers as far as the Word of God is concerned. This same Bible is going to help me even go to areas that are unsafe, uh, to go to areas that are unknown. Uh, I know the, the Almighty Father will take me there because it's actually a Bible that is very simple and it's a Bible that can make one succeed. I want to thank you so much. Uh, I don't know the day we'll be going back, but I wish you... Well, there he is. Did you catch a couple words? He says he's going to go to the areas that are unsafe and the areas that are unreached, unknown, he said, uh, because uh, we had preached this truth to him and he was ready to go. Um, and again, that unsafe area, he lives out there among the ambas and, and the difficulty. Um, but he's ready to go to the unreached, ready to go to the unsafe. Um, remember what, what Jesus said to Paul regarding Corinth. He said, I have my people in this city. There's a prepared harvest. C.T. Studd, remember when C.T. Studd at 50 years of age goes down to Africa? Everyone forbids him to go. His doctor says, you're going to die. Everyone stood against him, and he said, I must go to the unreached. So he goes, and he lands there in Cairo, and he goes out into Sudan. He thought he was going to stop there, but he found missionaries, so he just kept going. And he goes all the way to Congo, darkest Africa. I've got to find where the gospel hasn't gone. I've got to get there. And he lived for 20 more years. God gave him 20 years. He was supposed to die. He lived 20 years, died at 70 around there. Because he was determined. I really believe, young people, 
we only have two options. Either you, our option is either to be sent or to be sending. Be sent or be sending. Actually, it's not an option. You have to do both. You should be sent and you should be sending. Always end with send. Remember we said that before? Always end with send. Um, and your group with send. Um, going back to John 20, uh, you know, when, when all those disciples are up there in that room, why are they up in that room? 20 verse 19, for fear of the Jews, right? They're living in fear. And Jesus came and stood in the midst, and his first words out of his mouth was what? Peace. Does God want us living in fear? Does God want us living in fear? And then his second, what are the second words out of his mouth? Verse 21. Same thing. Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. Folks, I I really believe this. In the world that we're living in, you're not going to live at peace unless you're on mission for Jesus. It's not going to happen. You're going to be losing everything. You're not going to be at peace unless you're here for the reason God wants you to be here. You know, this stuff's happening over in Ukraine, right? And it's really, it's kind of startling because actually it's kind of almost the first type of sense of war that we've had kind of in our side of things, right? I mean, Myanmar is just unbelievable, but when you think of that war happening, and I don't know about you, but I've been really inspired by the Ukrainian response, haven't you? Right? And I think we need to grab a little bit of that spirit, and I think we are actually. That Ukrainian spirit says, okay, Russia, you can come in here, and you're a big bad boy, but I don't care. Life isn't worth living if you take over. That's what they're saying. Life isn't worth living if you take over. So we don't care what you're doing. You're going to get everything we have to give. And if we go down, we're going to go down fighting. Right? And it's kind of like when the enemy's on the encircling you and you say, how am I going to handle this? What life is going to be like? What if they cross that border and you just feel the tension? You know, like, I don't know what life is going to be like. But when you... Turn the page, and all of a sudden the battle's on, and you can't go back. And now, like, you've engaged, and we're in this, and we're in this to the end, and we're going to fight to the death, and all of a sudden it's happening, and you discover, you know what, I can live this way too. I don't have to wish the enemy were way out there. I don't have to wish I had a comfort zone. I don't have to wish I lived another day. The fight is on, and you know what? It's good. And I'm going to engage the enemy, and I am going to embrace this moment, and I'm not afraid. I want to tell you, if Ukrainian people can do it for their homeland, can't Christians do it for our Savior? Our world isn't going to be a safe place, and it doesn't matter. This isn't our world. And if it matters to you and you're afraid to go to the unknown and you're afraid to go to the unsafe and you're afraid to go to the unreached, you're not going to have peace. 
Something needs to flip in your soul of why you're here and what you're going to do with this life. And you're not here to hold on and try to make a comfort zone. Abraham was called to leave his comfort zone, right? The start of our story begins with that step. And we don't have to live in fear. And the only way to escape fear is to get on mission and be sent. Amen? And God will protect you. And there's a promised land that's away. There's a protected servant. And there's a prepared harvest. If we'll get to the unknown, unsafe, and unreached place. Amen? May God help our, all of us to be on mission with a sending God. That's what he's doing. He's sending us.